everybody, and welcome to the Energetic Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa LaFera, an astrologer, tarot consultant, all-around creative from sunny San Diego, California. And this is the 141st episode of the podcast, airing July 28th, 2022. Happy new moon in Leo to all. Now, in this episode, I am thrilled to welcome back to the program special guest Michael J. Morris to join me in a discussion on astrology and personhood where Michael and I have an in-depth discourse on how astrology as a system and a tradition offers several significant possibilities for how we might understand the nature of personhood. We unpack how personhood is inherently relational, as we are constantly meeting the world in its many facets, and how we are highly complex becomings affected by the reductionism of limited social systems, including popular sun sign astrology. We hope you enjoy this richly philosophical conversation as much as we did. Now, to see our enchanting faces while we wax poetic, you can tune into the video version of this episode on YouTube. And if you'd like to support this program, feel free to come over to energeticprinciples.com, where you can book a personal consultation with yours truly, you can leave a tip in the tip jar, or you can sign up for my monthly transit newsletter, The Heavenly Wind, which is chocked full of goodies each month to keep you in touch with all the astrology that is ahead. Now, before we get started here, this Sunday, July 31st, my four-week course offering Chain of Command, Rulership, and Essential Dignities in Astrology is going live. So who's looking to learn? Who's looking to hang out with me for the next four Sundays and learn all about planetary rulership and essential dignity? Because really, this is, if there is one tool I would have in my toolkit, this is it. And so we're going to be meeting for four Sundays consecutively uh, at 11 a.m. Pacific, which is 2 p.m. Eastern, and sometime in the evening if you are in Europe for two hour plus, I say plus because I just know I'm going to go over, uh, sessions that are aimed at taking you deeper into what planetary rulership has to offer in a chart uh, and all the nuances that come with rulership and dignity. So in week one, we're going to look into the rulership scheme as a whole and then go deeper into the planets that are in domicile and in detriment. Week two, we're going to be looking at convex and concave, which is the exaltation and fall positions, uh, what it means to have dignity and debility, and how these signatures realistically play out in the chart. And of course, we're going to be using student examples uh, in this uh, more intimate gathering of a class so that we can really, you know, hear it from the horse's mouth what that planet is doing. And so I love real-time feedback. Now, week three, we're going to go into looping planetary chains, final dispositors, and mutual reception uh, to see how, you know, this, how does this chain of command affect all the archetypes that are in our chart? It is a fascinating, fascinating look at uh, how we really, you know, get to know our shades of expression. And then week four is our final session where we are going to be doing housekeeping uh, and how we are going to basically look at how the houses and the angles are affected by rulership and by essential dignity um, and how to really decipher how these planets help carry out the affairs of these houses. So it is 
Does this sound like fun to you? If it does, come and join us. The course is $200 for the four live sessions. And of course, you will have access to download and keep the uh, videos forever. So don't worry if you can't make it live. Uh, you can always catch up at a later date or just come back to it when you feel like it. And we're also going to have a private Discord chat group so that you can ask questions, share insights, and decipher chart examples together. So to register for the course, come on over to energeticprinciples.com slash courses, or you can click the link to wherever you're listening to this podcast because it will be in there. Um, and yeah, I, I hope to see you in class. So all right, who is ready to hear all about astrology and personhood? Here we go. Now, let's meet our guest. All right. I am so happy to welcome back to the program here today. We have Michael J. Morris with us again. After too much time has elapsed, Michael, you know, too much time. I'm so happy to have time. you back. <laughs> so great to be back, Mel. It's so good to see you. I'm so glad to be back on the program and to be having this conversation with you today. And if you didn't catch us speak, uh, we were trying to remember when it was, you know, time is an illusion <laughs> with, or it's becoming an illusion. Uh, and uh, we kind of remembered that we spoke in 2020, but what was really memorable was actually the conversation that we had. Mm -hmm. I believe the podcast was called Astrology and Feminist Praxis. Is that, mm -hmm. does that sound right? So. Yeah. And yeah, we had a really in-depth conversation that of course touched on those subjects, but touched all around it. And even then, so I remember we were talking about uh, dance in relation to dance and planets and because uh, you, you have a background in dance. Is that right? I do. Yeah. That's one of my many backgrounds is I have, I mean, I've been a dancer for decades, but I also have a PhD in dance studies and spent over a decade teaching in universities in dance departments, but also in women's and gender studies programs, queer studies programs, environmental studies programs and things like that. So I have kind of an eclectic interdisciplinary background, but a big part of my training and history has been in the arts and humanities broadly, and then in dance and performance in particular. Yeah, um, and the movement. And now mm. you're involved in the movement of the planets. Indeed. The <laughs> yeah. So so catch us up for, you know, it's been two years. What do you what do you have going on now, Michael? What's going on in your life? Wow. Uh so much is going on. Um well, uh, a little bit over a year ago, I went full-time in my professional astrology consultation practice, primarily the consultation practice. Um, as I said, I'd been working in universities for over a decade and that contract ended and it felt like it was the time to at least try to give my full attention to this work and see how it can grow and how it can develop. Um, I, I had uh, started my consultation practice in 2019. Um, it's called Co-Witchcraft Offerings. And I um, share astrology and tarot with people as a way of supporting personal and collective healing and liberation, um, trying to situate our own personal journeys within the larger context of both the cosmos and the sky, but also the world that we share with others and the way that we're constituted in and through one another, which is, you know, maybe a bit of what we're going to talk about a little bit. Yes, today. yes. Um, and that practice has continued to grow and thrive. And I've just, I, every time I open my books, I open my books for consultations about four times a year and I book up for three months in advance um, within usually about a week. And so it's been really satisfying to see that continue to 
grow and support me, but also support the folks that I've been working with. And then I'm doing some writing, doing always doing some writing for things that are like in the longer term. I did some writing for uh, the Chani app last year that will, or was that two? Yeah, that was last year. That was last year. Um, and that'll be, that'll that writing will make its way onto the app at some point. Um, and then I'm doing teaching with Kelly Surtees, who is one of my primary astrology teachers and has become my mentor over the last few years. Um, and over a year ago, um, her online astrology courses had grown to the point where she really needed support in order to um, address uh, all of the students' learning in a way that felt responsible and felt yeah. thorough. And so she brought on um, a couple of her protégés, a couple of people who had gone through her program and her training. And now we're um, teaching assistants with her and have been for over a year. And it's a really satisfying way for me to continue my work as an educator, as a teacher, which has been such a huge part of my life for so many years, to then bring that into the astrology realm as well. That's some of the things going on. <laughs> Just some things, you know. Michael's not busy at all. No, no. no. <laughs> oh, I love Kelly Surti. She's one of my mm. mentors as well. And um, yeah, that's... Uh, well, you have such a rich background. It's like... Uh, that's such an important uh, aspect to bring into consultation work, I think. When you have all those dimensions to your own character and intellectual understandings and world worldwide experience, you know, um, it, it's really, I don't know, I feel like it niches the practice in a way that is so unique. Um, mm -hmm. And... And why it's actually beneficial to if you are if you do like to uh, engage in astrological consultations with people to see different practitioners because the breadth of knowledge that comes from each individual and their life experience and, and their work and their background and their and their mentorships, mm -hmm. um, it is uh, yeah it's it's an exciting experience and it's exciting for today in the, the world of astrology uh, that there's so many just inspiring thinkers like yourself out there contributing oh. to it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and thank you for joining me here today. We're going to have another rich topic that Michael brought to the table uh, titled astrology and personhood. Mm -hmm. Personhood. Tell me what, tell me what personhood is. Oh, I mean, it's the question of what does it mean to be a person? Mm. How, how do we come to be people in the ways that we are. I mean, it also, I think, extends to the, to the question who counts as a person, which may or may not be something we can get into today, mm. but it's definitely something that has plagued um, Western civilization, if not global civilization, this, this question of who gets to even count as a person and yeah. um, the ways in which um, people of color, indigenous people, black and brown people, but also women, but also queer people have been consistently dehumanized and made to be non-persons in so many ways and continuing into the present. Um, and so this question of what does it mean to be a person, I really think is at the foundation of how we live in the world. And so another way of saying that is um, in philosophical terms, the ontology of personhood or ontology is a, is a philosophical term which refers to the nature of being. What does it mean to exist? Mm -hmm. um, so the existence of personhood, I think, really creates a foundation of our politics and our ethics. How do we relate to one another? Our ethical commitments depends on what we even think it means to be a person. What are my commitments or my responsibilities as a person to other people? And I think that when we come to astrology, you know, often I think a lot of people come to astrology with 
uh, like we probably do with most things, bringing our existing understandings of the world and ourselves with us to astrology, um, including our beliefs, our philosophical orientations, even things like our identities, who we think we are. Um, and that makes sense. I mean, that that we would meet something new, some field or tradition with our existing assumptions or biases or just understandings and, and philosophies and beliefs about the world. And also, I think, and this has been my experience having studied and practiced astrology for many years now, that astrology actually offers us the potential to shift some of those existing understandings or offer maybe a different perspective of what it means to be a person and to be a person in this world, perhaps, or even our understanding of the world. And um, so I'm hoping that's what we'll spend some time talking about today is what are some of the ways, not all of the ways, but what are <laughs> some of the ways that astrology might offer us particular pathways or avenues into um, maybe different ways of thinking about what it means to be a person. Yeah. And I think that, oh, go ahead. No, I was just, I'm all I'm thinking of is like how just well timing it is to talk about mm. this during Leo season <laughs> 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 when, yeah. you know, it is kind of a focus on, on the person or the self mm -hmm. or the self-understanding or the, you know, kind of the solar identity where mm. we are revolving around ourselves, uh, to some extent. Um, but we don't revolve around ourselves. We're constantly needing right. something. Right. And I think that's the big part of what we're going to be talking about here today. Totally. And we could even go down like a whole nother, uh, tangent, it's not even a tangent, but a, a thinking about even the sun itself as like, there is this like, especially in modern astrology, this like deep association of the sun with the self, with the identity, with the ego, with even the individual. And yet also when we think about the sun in our world and the 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 effects of the sun, that the, the sun is the source of all life, that yeah. everything is actually dependent upon the light of the sun, the warmth and radiance of the sun in such a way that at least our experience of the sun here on earth, which is the basis of astrology, astrology is our, our understanding or our experience of the cosmos from here on earth. It's a very situated and specific place-based tradition. And our experience of the sun actually involves this deep interrelationship with, with that uh, luminosity or with mm -hmm. that radiance that we might associate with the sun. Um, and so, I mean, that's just one of many different threads that we could pull on or follow in terms of what does astrology offer to our understanding of personhood. And I think it's really important because I think uh, that without doing this sort of like, we could call it critical thinking or just reflection on what do I think it means to be a person? What do I think astrology offers to my understanding of personhood? Without doing that, I think there's a risk that we actually come to astrology and just use the astrology to mm, reinforce the things we already believe to be true about ourselves or the world. And that can mm. take a lot of different forms. I mean, I see it in, in with client work, with people who have even just a little bit of understanding of astrology, and they see something maybe that looks a little challenging in their chart in terms of maybe a, an aspect configuration or rulership of something. And then seeing that, they use consciously most often, but also unconsciously to confirm for themselves what they always believe to be true. I will never be successful. I will always be doomed in love or something like that. This like using the astrology to confirm 
what we believe about ourselves already, rather than perhaps um, meeting the astrology in such a way that it opens up who we thought we were or who we think we could become, in fact. Um, that's just like one example of ways in which we might use the astrology to reconfirm our biases if we're not thinking about intentionally, critically thinking about the ways astrology might actually shift some of our yeah. beliefs or our understandings about ourselves. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I isn't it, well, isn't the idea of personhood and identity about becoming like, we, I don't, hope so. we don't come out of the womb and we're like, this is us forever. No. And yet, <laughs> I, I mean, that is, I mean, that's one of the things we'll probably talk about today is the nature of, of personhood being um, defined, at least in part through uh, change through yeah. becoming, not being a stat, not a static being, but a process of becoming. And yet, especially under the conditions of, I, I'll, I'll pull in the scope very particular to where we live in the United mm -hmm. States, but I think it is true for other places as well, but I'll just speak to our circumstances. So much of what we are conditioned to believe about what it means to be a person, what it means to be human, what it means to have an identity has been shaped by forces like imperialism and colonization and white supremacy and human exceptionalism and capitalism and heteropatriarchy. And all of those things, many of those things actually reduce us, reduce mm. the, the sense of self or personhood to a hyper-individualistic unit of consumption, which is like part of the way that capitalism works on and through Things us. Is itself, like, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Like you are you are necessarily limited and you constantly need to more things, more, mm -hmm. more resources in order to continue to be productive, to feed back into the system, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but also the ways in which all of these other systems like colonialism and white supremacy and heteropatriarchy reduce our sense of not only reduce our sense of who we are or could be, but also depend on us thinking that we are the same throughout our lives. Mm. If you were this gender when you were born, when if this is the gender you were assigned when you were born, then you will always be not only that same gender, but that gender in that same way. That, that it will not change because if it changes, then some core sense of who you are it feel, may feel threatened that if I'm not the same as I was yesterday or five years ago or 10 years ago, then who even am I? And those questions can be quite um, overwhelming or quite scary if we've never asked those kinds of questions. And yet, I think that astrology gives us a way to not only ask the questions, but engage in ways of, if not answering them, at least under meeting the question, dancing with the question in some way. Does that make some sense? How it like, yeah, yeah the, well, you know what had me thinking is interesting because we we kind of started off talking about the relational component to the personhood and like engaging yeah. with something outside of you to grow and evolve as a person. Um, but it's interesting to have also the reverse reaction of being static as, as a person or in a place because of meeting something in the world that's trying to keep you in a position that isn't evolving or moving. Mm -hmm. um, and like, you know, there's always this either or side of just existence. And now, we talked about this last time on when yeah. we talked, we <laughs> talked about polarity, but also the shades of the circle all around mm -hmm. it and, you know, talking about that. Um, but it's just interesting to think about how we need stuff to be met with stuff on the outside to help de develop the person and not mm -hmm. have it be in that static state. But we can also meet that in a way that is trying to keep us 
static and differentiating those two in some way. I might be digressing, but that's no, just I don't think so at all. Meant. I mean, I think that I mean you're already starting to touch on some of the things that I think are um, foundational to what I think astrology offers us in terms of of thinking about personhood, maybe in new ways or maybe in very old ways. Um, and some of that is that personhood is inherently relational. Um, that we who we are, how we came into our being depends upon relations. We were never a separate, isolated individual in the ways that often we're conditioned to think that we are. Um, but also we're not static, um, that we're always in a process of changing and evolving and becoming. So those are two of the two of the directions that we can explore today. And then the third that I would offer that I think astrology speaks to, and we'll, we can break each of these down and, and get into the details of them, is that astrology gives us a view of personhood as inherently complex. Um, yeah. I often say, I have said on many pod- podcasts um, that I think that astrology is well-situated um, to initiate us into an engagement with our own complexity, which is, uh, if not opposite of, very different from the culture of hyper-reductionism that we live mm-hmm. in. And by hyper-reductionism, I mean that at least in the United States, but probably in other places as well, there is a pervasive culture of trying to f- reduce who we are to fit into, for example, one of two categories. Are you female or are you male? Or are you black or are you white? Or are you like the boxes that we have to check on yes, all these the forms, the, the endless, the not in, endless, the very limited number of limited, options. Yeah. Given to us. <laughs> and then the way that that plays out in our lives, not only on on forms and applications and things like that, but as we move through our day-to-day lives, all the ways that we are reduced in our complexity to be simplified into um, versions that are easily manageable, ultimately, that we be- we become more manageable to systems, to one another, even to ourselves when we reduce our complexity. Um, and we see how that shows up even sometimes in astrology, the, the tendency, especially in the 20th and 21st century, to reduce the complexity of the person that's reflected in the natal chart. I'm, I guess I'm sp- speaking here primarily to natal astrology, yeah. um, but the, the tendency to reduce the complexity of the person and the chart itself to, for example, your sun sign, so that everyone in the world is one of 12 archetypes. Well, that's not what astrology shows us. Astrology actually shows us that we all embody all 12 signs of the zodiac somehow in some way. And there's even more than that because there's also the planets and where they're placed and what they're ruling what and what they're aspecting. And that's just the natal chart itself. That's not even getting into the ways in which astrology is inherently a practice of relating to time and the unfolding yeah. of time. And so... It's those three directions that I would love to explore today. In what ways does astrology reflect to us uh, an understanding of personhood that is inherently relational, that is inherently complex, and that is um, predicated on cycles of change and becoming, that is not static, that is always in motion and always becoming something else and something more. How does that sound today? Oh, that's... (laughs) Oh, that just sounds wonderful. It sounds that, like just a little I just that. think that sounds wonderful. Uh, so, well, let's talk a little bit more about the relational component um, and bringing mm-hmm. in this this other these other factors into personhood and what that might look through like through the chart. If we're thinking yeah. about the astrology chart or the natal chart in specific, you know, where are we? Where are we looking at those relational components coming in? Um, 
I guess maybe that's more of like a technical aspect of it more than the philosophical side. It's like, if I was looking at a chart, how am I relating to people? <laughs> or like, no, how exactly. am I meeting? <laughs> well, I mean, what you just said is so important because this is maybe, I mean, I think this is my bias in the world, <laughs> but maybe what I'm inviting, um, what I'm hoping we are inviting people to engage with especially if they are practicing astrologers or someone who is an astrology enthusiast or someone who even just reads their horoscopes and things like that, is actually those practical, technical um, uh, functions of the system all have implicit philosophical investments. Mm -hmm. So in fact, as we examine even the most technical things, we can ask, what does this then mean about the nature of life? If this, if a life can be described in these ways, what does that tell us about a life, about a, a person, about the native, the the person for whom the chart has been cast? Um, and there's at least two ways that I think of astrology reflecting the relational um, ontology of personhood. Again, ontology that that nature of existence. And the mm -hmm. first is very broad, but I think it's literally the foundation of the tradition and the system of astrology, which is that astrology as a tradition and as a practice is predicated on there being some sort of inexplicable relationship relationship between the movements of the cosmos and our lives here on earth. That it's not, it's never only this is your life, your mm, isolated interior universe or somehow it's uh, astrology is predicated on this correlation of celestial bodies and their motions with our terrestrial lives here on earth, such that everything in the chart is not an isolated thing. It is a mm. relationship between my life and the placement or the movements of the moon or the placements and the movements of Mercury and Venus and the sun and Mars and Jupiter and Saturn and so on, that each of those symbols in the chart, we understand not as a thing that is separate from me, but as descriptive of an archetypal force or presence or power that is always in relation with the life that I'm living, such that I can look at the movements of those symbols in our, in our two-dimensional um, representations of the sky, or, you know, I can go outside at night and I can look up at the sky and be like, there's Saturn. And that Saturn over there that I see in the sky, I understand as a relationship, not as something separate from me, but something that I come into being. That's what the birth chart describes is this moment that you come into the world, that I come into the world and then live out my life always in these countless relationships with the planets and other celestial bodies. I work a lot with the asteroids, for example. So it's not only the planets, but the planets and the stars and the asteroids and whatever else someone might bring into their practice. All of those things, things are actually relations. And what would shift in our engagement with astrology, but also in our engagement with ourselves, if we understood that from the start and in an ongoing way, we are always in these inexplicable, inescapable relationships. For me, I, it's like, oh, good. Oh, no, I'm just, I'm inspired by this because it's like when you're in a relationship with something, um, we like to think about, if I'm thinking about Venusian terminology, if you're in a relationship with something, we're hoping that there's an equality there. There's a give and take. There's a back and forth. 
Mm. And a lot of times, you know, you can look at a chart, and especially if you have a difficult uh, relationship with a planet, you might mm. think that that planet's dominating you or you're under the thumb of that planet versus having this, uh, I want to say a dialogue, maybe <laughs> maybe if that's Mercury, but, you know, they're having <laughs> this back and forth, um, you know, we are in this together type of mm. thing. And we have an mm. inherent relationship that is built within my sense of personhood um, and what that is. And I'm jumping ahead of myself to the cycle portion, but that, you know, relationship then evolves over time through that. Um, But I guess what I was inspired by there was, you know, to kind of calling your power back Mm. in the relationship that you have inherently with these planets and that you're not just, uh, you know, doomed by their presence if it is a difficult you know, connection or always blessed by it either. If it's a seemingly easy mm-hmm. one, like you, there's an mm-hmm. engaging in relationships. You have to engage, you have to show mm-hmm. up, you have to continue to relate in order to, you know, extract whatever that, you know, connection is there for you to mm-hmm. extract from. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. right. I mean, that makes me think of at least two more things. Um, one is just that I mean, even as you were describing that in terms of the various ways we might experience the relationship and engage in the relationship, part of what underneath all of that is the reminder that we are always living in these relations, um, which means that we're never actually alone. Mm -hmm. So even when the relationship might feel challenging or difficult or like or uncomfortable in some way or ecstatic and full of pleasure and joy whatever the quality of the relationship underneath it is this deep deep lesson from astrology which is you were never in this alone what would shift in how we live our lives if we moved through the world with an ongoing awareness and consciousness of that inherent inescapable relationality i'm not in this alone I never have been, I never have to be, I never will be. I'm always in these relations. And then we can engage in the qualities of those relations and ask, what is it that unfolds for me in that unfolding of time? What is it that unfolds for me or with me through this relation? And you know, it's almost like, it's hard to talk about sometimes because of the nature of our language in English at the very least, which is the only uh, spoken language that I I have access to. our, our, the, the structure of our syntax of having a separate subject and object connected by a verb, it reinforces this idea of separation. But in fact, there's mm. been some really important philosophers and thinkers who often get classified under what's called, often called process philosophy, um, which is going to relate to the cycles of becoming and change, um, but also has to do with relation and relationality. And someone I'm thinking about off the top of my head is a feminist quantum physicist named Karen Barad, um, who wrote a brilliant book called Meeting the Universe Halfway, um, which I kind of think every astrologer should read <laughs> because it's she's drawing on, on understandings from quantum physics, but, but then ex- extrapolating from those things to to ask these larger philosophical questions. And she uses the vocabulary of rather than interrelationship, inter being something that is between two separate things, like an interstate between two states. She uses the language of intra-relations. Intra is within something. So rather than I am a thing and Venus is a thing and we're in a relationship between us, the language of intra-relation would offer that the relation comes first. 
it's not that we're separate and then we come into relation together. It's yeah, we're actually we start in relation and then we understand essentially difference. What makes me Michael and that planet Venus? What makes that difference is not separate. It's it's always already in the relation, which is like if we're not used to thinking in that way, I think it takes some practice to get, I mean, I know it has for me, to get out of the idea of like, I am, although, I mean, personal disclosures, I think I've said this on at least one or two other podcasts. Um, I was I was born a conjoined twin. So, oh. um, and then we were separated four days after we were born. So what? actually, I think I'm somewhat predisposed to think about the relation coming first. That like, interesting. even though it took many years to, to, to catch up with that, um, uh, intellectually, I think somatically, physiologically, yeah. I understood that the relation came first, separation came after relation. And I think that's true of our understandings of personhood, that we, th- this sense that we're separate from, for example, one another, or from the earth, or from our bodies, or all these ways in which we're cut off from one another. What if that came after the fact that first we were in relationship, we were in relation? I don't know. That is fascinating. That's a, that's a, uh, well, and you know, I mean, that is a very unique uh, circumstance to come into the world. Right. Of course, not not many people can say that. No. Um, but when it comes to the idea of relation and then separation, we could even look at it as just being in the womb itself, because right, exactly. you come in, yeah. you know, attached to something else and and feeding in a you know a symbiotic relationship that grows and nurtures the person to be in personhood on the other yeah. side of the birth. And so it yes. does, I mean, I guess it starts that way for everyone. And yes. you had like, you had a party of relation. You had mom, <laughs> you had the twin. You had... <laughs> yeah. I love that. I mean, I think that's so smart to to um, bring in the, mm, the real experience and also metaphor of the, the maternal connection in the womb. What if we you use extended that metaphor a little bit to think of that as in some way analogous to our relationships with the planets that mm-hmm. we develop, we come into being in the relationship first. And so when we come to astrology, whether as practitioners, as um, students, as people who are simply interested in astrology, it's what if it's more like coming back into an awareness of the relationship rather than I'm entering into a relationship with Jupiter or Venus or Saturn or Mars or whoever, that we that astrology is a way of becoming aware that we were already in those relationships from the start. That's the that's the premise of natal astrology, I think. It is. They're they're all in us. We have a planetary yeah. party just dancing around. <laughs> you know, in, in us since day one. Yeah. Um, and it's easy to look at that as separate when, like you said, we look outside and we see the planet in the sky. And it's like, you're over there. You're affecting my life. You're doing this now, you know, but right. but we have all those in, inside of us and and just not forgetting um, that. Uh, and it's, I, of course, I, I go straight to the relationship of the, just the sun and the moon too, you exactly. know, when we think about, you know, obviously when we think about the sun, I think the sun as we kind of already touched on a little bit earlier is sort of that point of personhood. You know, if we're going to like go to a place in the chart and be like, you might be my person, you might be who (laughs) I'm trying to be or whatever. Um, But there's always that relationship with the moon reflecting uh, back to us uh, what that is and how these, you know, luminaries are inherent 
in you know the spirit and the soul of the individual as well and how that plays out over time how that plays out in the natal mm-hmm. uh interaction and so yeah it's just there's there's these relational aspects mm-hmm. in the chart Yes. But also in the outer world, right? Yes. I mean, that's the thing too, is it's like, we're talking about the natal chart here. Uh, but then, you know, that's the beauty of the natal chart. It's like, you can see everything that you're going to encounter. It's all about just what's in within you. It's, you know, right. turn the chart. You're going to see where the friends are. You're going to see where the partners are. You're going to see where the boss is. You're going to see where, you know, it, the coworker, it's all there. And then yeah. we meet that on the outside of the world, which is part of the relational process and interacting with those archetypes too, right? Absolutely. Yes. I mean, yes, exactly. That it, the starting point philosophically for astrology is that we're in relation to with the sky, with the cosmos, with yeah. the planets, with the asteroids, et cetera. And then exactly as you said, when we look at the chart itself, it is already also a map of relations. There's like, you know, there's kind of different tendencies in different traditions of astrology. I think more in the um, 20th, 21st century astrology, which largely gets called modern astrologies, different astrologies that happen in the modern um, era, there is more of a tendency to look at the chart as this is all me. Um, this is all descriptive of different parts of my psyche or different parts of my experience of who I am. And I think that that's valid. I think that, that there's ways in which the chart can speak to us that way. And also, when we go back to more ancient forms of astrology, um, specifically, I, I study and practice Hellenistic astrology, which is about 2000 years old. So if we go back to the origins of the so-called Western natal astrological tradition, we see that, and so this this does carry through into modern astrology. I don't want to to, to paint it as if they're so diametrically so opposed to one yeah. another. But Once again, relation. More, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a question of emphasis. I think that yes. in the ancient astrology, there is more of an emphasis that the parts of the chart that describe you are, or the native, are, are the ascendant and the ruler of the ascendant, and everything else in the chart describes all the people, all the, the situations that you were naming, the, the, the family, the parents, the or primary caretakers, the lovers or partners, the bosses, the employees, the employers, um, our patrons, our friends, our communities, but also our social context, the ways in which we are subjected to systems of power and authority mm-hmm. that are beyond our control. So if we think about the sixth house long being associated with slavery and enslaved people, or the 12th house being associated with imprisonment and solitude. And so there's ways in which like, even in the chart, we can see the ways in which a life is defined by its relations with all these others, such that the chart is your chart or my chart. It is a person's chart. But what that chart is capable of describing is not only an individual. Then in fact, it describes what we might think of as the social constitution of the subject or the person. And that's language that comes out of um, critical theory and philosophy. Specifically, I came to that language through the work of a feminist philosopher named Judith Butler, thinking about the ways in which what it means to be a person is already defined by those social relations from the very start, such that as you come into the world, you are given over to the hands of another who will hold you or not hold you, feed you or not feed you, specifically when you cannot do those things That's for yourself. yourself. And that continues throughout our whole lives, such that even today, even in adulthood, we might repress this idea of, of 
our inherent dependence on others, but someone grew your food that wasn't you probably. Even if you have your your homestead all by yourself, um, the resources that went into all of that, all of our food, our shelter, our um, educational experiences, our uh, infrastructure of our cities. Where does your water come from? How does it get from where it started to where you are? All of those things are relations. And many of those things can be described and understood in the natal chart. And that's like, I think, again, that has the potential to profoundly shift our understanding of ourselves and the world. Because if we think of ourselves not as isolated, separate individuals, but always having been in relation with other human lives, other persons, but also with non-human lives here on earth, but also the vast more than human cosmos, then our sense of what are we responsible for and responsible to mm-hmm. starts to shift. And these are questions that I think are really resonant with many different feminist thinkers. I don't think what I'm saying is inherently feminist. I think there's many people who've said similar things who I don't necessarily think of as occupying a feminist consciousness, but many feminists have said similar things um, who are uh, engaged in a feminist um, politics. And just for example, a few things that uh, as I was preparing for this off the top of my head, it's like, what what are some feminists who've told us something like this? <laughs> and the first thing I thought of was the Kambahi River Collective, which was a collective of Black lesbian feminist socialists formed in the 1970s, specifically in response to the fact um, that there was an ongoing violence against Black women in the United States um, that was going un. Um, uninvestigated, unsolved, these murders of Black women specifically, but also responding to the ways in which the feminist movement was not at that time, sometimes still today, was not adequately taking responsibility for the needs and experiences of Black women and other women of color, but Mm -hmm. also the ways in which the Black liberation movement and the Black nationalist movement wasn't sufficiently taking responsibility for the experiences of women, that in both of these radical directions, the lives of Black women were being neglected. And they wrote in a statement in 1977, if Black women were free, it would mean that everyone else would have to be free, since our freedom would necessitate the destruction of all the systems of oppression. And part of what they're offering there is that the freedom of Black women is not separate from your freedom and my freedom and the freedom of others who suffer under similar and shared experiences of oppression, that that we are already connected through these systems and through these relations, which then is similar to and and kind of sets the stage for what Kimberly Crenshaw eventually termed intersectionality, the recognition that different systems of oppression intersect in people's lives in ways that are particular to their social location, such that a Black woman experiences both racism and sexism in a way that's unique, that's not the same as the sexism that's experienced by women who are not Black or the racism of uh, that Black people experience who are not women. And so there's something unique that happens at that intersection point. And also, the ways in which these systems of oppression intersect in our lived experiences also connect us to some, to one another, such that my liberation is tied to your liberation. That's uh, what my, I was because yeah. my oppression is tied to your oppression. And Fannie Lou Hamer, um, much earlier, um, said famously in many of her speeches, nobody's free until everybody's free. 
And Audre Lorde wrote, I am not free while any woman is unfree, even when her shackles are very different from my own. And I am not free as long as one person of color remains chained, nor any one of you. And so we see this repeating theme through specifically Black feminism, but feminism more broadly, um, and also just radical politics. Marsha P. Johnson, who's often claimed as a trans pioneer in terms of trans liberation and who was present at the Stonewall riots, and which was one of the instigating moments of the LGBT liberation movement. Marsha P. Johnson taught us, you never completely have your rights, one person, until you all have your rights. And so we can see this repeated understanding of our inherent interrelationship or intra-relationship with one another within the social systems that make our lives possible and impossible. That, the, the, that this way of understanding ourselves as socially constituted within these relations, um, we see so heavily reflected within feminist philosophy, within feminist practice, and also, I think, coming to astrology as a feminist, I also see a similar social constitution reflected in the structure of the houses, the planets in the natal chart. Well, I think about the the uh, feminist connection there, and of course, I mean, if I'm going to if I'm going to dumb it down and be like, oh, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking about Venus and and the Moon yeah. there, you know? No, why not? They're just like the relational. Uh, you know, Venus is that relational component which we were talking about earlier, and the Moon is the reflective component. How yeah. what what is in with me reflects upon you and reflects yes. upon a society, and how you know if if one person's free and another one, no one is free. You know, there's yeah because there's just that reflective quality. And so we're, we're, it seems like we're building these layers of um, relational uh, structure. (laughs) We we have the, the relational aspect of the planets that are within the chart that are, uh, that are inherent within us. We have the relation with them as they move in the sky. We have the relation of the one-on-one with all the characters that fill our life from, you know, the personhood standpoint. And then we have the relation to the collective and the all that we don't meet mm-hmm. eye to eye, but we mm-hmm. meet maybe spiritually or energetically or because uh, we are uh, at the, once again, this very small piece within a much larger, you know, web of mm-hmm. energy. And so mm-hmm. there's all these facets of relationship that we're essentially uh defining here which really moves us further and further away of the uh, you know the no person is an island type of you know thought exactly and i love the 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 summary that you just gave that in terms of the webs of relationship and the the collective that we may never meet eye to eye but that we're connected to energetically and perhaps spiritually and and absolutely politically in these moments where the the rights of entire groups of people um, around bodily autonomy, around indigenous sovereignty, around ecological justice, we're seeing those under assault right now. And that's not just about you or me, that's about both of us and all of us. And even those who I will never meet, my freedom, my liberation is tied to their freedom and their liberation because of these political systems and structures through which we're living. Um, and it makes me think of this was this was not originally part of my notes for for our conversation today, but then I read this article by Angela Davis this morning, um, and, where it wasn't actually an article, it was a transcript of a podcast that she was on, and I just didn't have the energy for to listen to a podcast um, this morning. 
Um, but but so this is a, but this is a passage that was in the podcast, and she said, um, "I'm aware of the ways in which, especially in capitalist societies, there's a tendency to focus on the individual at the expense of allowing people to understand that history unfolds not as a consequence of the actions and words of great individuals, but rather as a consequence of people coming together, joining hands, and uniting with their differences, not across." their differences, but with their differences in a quest to create more freedom and more happiness in the world, which is just yet one more um, feminist, Black feminist understanding of the ways in which the, the very idea of the individual or an individual is insufficient for describing our lived experiences, how we actually inhabit this world with one another. And I think that that when you were talking about the the collective that we may never meet eye to eye, but that we experience and that we're with, it made me think of that um, uniting hand to hand, not across our differences, but with our differences in a quest to create more freedom and happiness in the world. Well, Which actually, oh, go ahead. Oh, there's always going to be differences. There's always going to be differences, and 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 we are moving in a dangerous direction if we try to eliminate differences. Um, which actually kind of pushes us towards the second point in terms of complexity. Yes. Um, that I, oh, oof. I, I, get, so, <laughs> I get so nervous when, when progressive movements of any kind try to build our movements on the notion of we're the same, mm. of rhetoric that we're very used to hearing in progressive political uh, movements of like, you know, underneath it all, we're all just human. It's like, mm, that's a dangerous direction to me because how I am human and how you are human is really different. And what my concern when we move in the direction of eliminating differences in order to sustain something like solidarity or even unity, um, where that leads is has historically never been a good place when yeah. we start moving in the direction of there's only one way or one correct way for us to be or to be together. And so it's actually a far, far more radical and dare I say progressive direction to think that we can be in this together and be different. In fact, it might be necessary for us to be in this together and be different, which I think pushes us towards the direction of, of in what ways does astrology actually attest to our inherent complexity, the resisting. I, oh, go ahead. So I'm just going to say real quick in yeah. relation to what you're saying, because I'm coming back, I'm still coming back to Venus. It's like, yeah. you know, unity is essentially the compromise of difference. Yes. Well, you know, yes. to some extent, because I mean, you can come together on the same page, yeah. but, yeah. or the, the acceptance or yes. the dialogue of it, yes. or, you know, cause yes. when we're talking about compromise. We're talking about, you know, or even if the war general goes in the room and we have two different sides that we're trying to bridge the gap upon, it's mm -hmm. like, you, you, you find ways to meet in the middle and doesn't eradicate the difference itself or be like, you know what? I don't, I don't do that anymore. I won't believe in that. It's like, no, I'm still on these camps, but where do these camps meet in the middle? Yes. Where do I make um, some, uh, learn to accept you and mm -hmm. the way that you are. And I learn to accept you. And we, we have a little room 
for yeah. acceptance of one one another and, and the differences that are inherent, like you said, of being human. We're not all the same and nor would right. we want to be. <laughs> well, I mean, some people want us to be, but we don't want us to be. We don't want it. <laughs> yeah. we don't. And you know, if we were, they wouldn't want us to be after all. Exactly. They would yeah. change that. <laughs> I No, I, I love what you're saying. And I actually realized as you were speaking that I took what you what you initially said I took you to mean something different and I'll clarify what I mean. It, it definitely Venus in terms of the meeting of difference and the um, the coming together with our differences. It was when you said the word, the compromise of difference. And I took you to mean compromise as in like compromising the integrity of something, oh, like yeah, no. where something is compromised, yeah, but you meant compromise in terms nice. of as finding a cooperation. Yeah, 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 totally. So now we're on the same page. Um, yeah, and then, and what that allows for is preserving one another's differences. It also allows for preserving our own differences, our differences with one another, but also with ourselves, which maybe is like a big thought, but it's part of, I think it's in, it's implicit in the idea of complexity. This idea that I was never only one thing. Mm -hmm. I was never even two things. I was already a multitude. And we see this reflected in the chart in the way that I was describing earlier that I think astrology initiates us or has the potential to initiate us into an engagement with our own complexity, that you are not just your sun sign. You were never just one category of anything. So what happens if as we look into our charts or look at our charts, if we engage them with a sense that everything we see is actually at bringing more nuance and detail and subtlety into the unique specificity of the life that one lives or that we live, rather than I'm looking at my chart with a sense of like, well, Taurus ascendant, you know, all Tauruses are fill in the blank. Like, it's like <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like, it's a thing where it's, I <laughs> um, have such an active practice of muting folks on Twitter, not because I don't want them to be into the world. I want them to be in the world. I want them to offer their gifts and share their brilliance in all their ways. But I have a really hard time as an astrologer, but also as an astrologer coming with these queer feminist politics to stomach the generalization around sun signs. It's really, it's like, every time I read one of those, I immediately think of like five or six people who I know personally who are exceptions to that. So it's like, yeah. so what? so what is it that we're trying to accomplish when we make these sweeping generalizations around the sun signs or around gender, all women are this way, all men are that way, or around queerness or heterosexuality or around race. Like, what is it that we're trying to do? And oftentimes I feel that an effect of it, whether or not it's the intention, an effect is this tendency towards reductionism in the interests of making ourselves and our world more manageable. And I want to have some, some empathy for that, some compassion for that, because we're living in relentlessly complex times where the crises are so unthinkable. It's like, what does it even mean? How do we even comprehend that we're living in the sixth great extinction right now? How do we even comprehend the death tolls that have mounted throughout this pandemic? How do we even wrap our heads around things? Like once we're into the millions of deaths, what does that even mean anymore? So I understand there being a desire to be like, maybe we can just simplify this one part. Like everything else is so complex and overwhelming. I can understand the desire for 
simplicity. And I do think that there's a beauty in simplicity. And maybe I want to distinguish simplicity from reductionism, from eliminating Mm. parts of who we are or who we could be. How do we hold all of who we are or who we could be? And I think the chart is one of one of the resources we can draw on to do that. It already creates a kind of container for all of our complexity. Does that make sense? It, it does. It, well, and when you're talking about, it's interesting because, well, first of all, our society just wants to simplify everything. In, <laughs> in such a complex time, there, it's it's always throwing simplicity at us. You know, you look at any type of article that is coming at you, whether it's like, you know, on, on, a, on a website or on YouTube, it's trying to tell us the five best ways to do this. You know, like, it's like, let me give you a short list that's really quick and it's just going to give you everything you need and that's all there is. Right. Um, so we're always trying to do that. But you know, what's interesting with the sun science, and I totally agree with you, you know, I, well, and that's the thing. So it's what happens when you come a full, a full-fledged, <laughs> astrologer is like the the sun sign component you're like come on and even the big three even the big three you're like yeah, i know you're adding more but there's there's still so much to say mm-hmm. but when you were talking about it it made me think of this other um component that's going on with sun sign astrology and especially when people are talking about it in a feed or having mm-hmm. breakdowns of this this one does this and this says that you know they could be fun they can be playful they can be humorous but what happens is it's also um not just individualizing the sun sign itself, it's creating little factions of groups yep. that identify with that. Because mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, you know, you have all the Tauruses on the feed that are be like, oh, I know, or that's not <laughs> quite like me, but maybe I'm not, you know, and then I think they're like, girl, I hear you, I'm a Taurus too, you know? And so all of a sudden it's like this, the, this simplified like piece that is not dealing with the complexity and is really just, as Christopher Renstrom would say, uh, mm. trash astrology. Mm. He always talks about the trash astrology, which is essentially the, the sun sign, um, is that it's cre- it creates different factions of mm-hmm. relational connection that ditches the simplicity or the complexity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyways, that was just somewhere my mind went with that, which is interesting. Well, and it's part, it's so reflective of the times that we're living in that I think, I think it was in Brene Brown's book, Braving the Wilderness, that she wrote about the, the, um, uh, polarization and the, the sorting of ourselves into intensely, um, oppositional or exclusionary categories, politically, socially, all these ways in which like, if you're that, then I don't want to have anything to do with you, that kind of thing. Um, and so I do think there's a tendency right now, maybe always, but especially it feels really heightened the last like six, seven years in terms of this intense sorting of ourselves into different factions, to use your word. Um, and I think there is a risk or a danger to that. I mean, you, even thinking back to one of the things I said earlier in terms of the risk of what happens if we come to astrology without doing the critical thinking or reflection work around what do I believe to be true about personhood? I'm imagining a scenario of someone who has been told in various ways their whole life that they are wrong for Mm -hmm. who or what they are, whether that's because they are queer or because they are Black or because they are disabled. And what happens when that's been the message for who you are your whole life. And then you come to astrology and you see some shit post about Gemini's or Scorpio's. Yeah. And then that reinforces the like, but it's worse. It's like, now it's like, wow, it just that actually made me really emotional for a second and in a compassion way of mm-hmm. like, I'm imagining my clients coming and saying, 
I read this thing on the internet and it proved to me what people had told me my whole life that oh, right. I was wrong. Yeah. And then I saw, in fact, like I'm a Scorpio and, and I am wrong. I have been bad this whole time. That's the risk that yeah. I think that kind of thing is what happens when we bring our unquestioned assumptions about what it means to be a person to our astrology and then seeing how that interfaces with this hyper-reductionism around categorization and, and, and especially around sun sign astrology. That said, I guess as we were talking, I was like feeling some compassion for all the folks out there that, who are do, working so hard to write like thoughtful and nuanced horoscopes that are generalized <laughs> out of necessity. But I, I just, I, yeah, I want to hold some space and say that I value that work so much. I am one of those people. Great. <laughs> so so. And I, I feel I'm in I'm in the same boat. Like and and I, you know I wrestle with the that within myself. Like yeah. doing doing this work um, and feeling essentially a totally different way or about about what astrology has to offer and um, and symbolize you know reducing it to. 50 words of right. <laughs> non, you know, that aren't like, that are trying to throw everyone into the same camp. And it's just, yeah. and and I, I guess that's when just as a person, you know, cause I don't know about you. I still, I still read my horoscope. Same. I, yeah. I mean, by certain I people, not all of them. Certain people, but even then I like, I read it and then I totally forget about it. Like I'll be like, yeah. uh-huh, and I'm like, well, I don't know. And I'm like, oh, that could be a little, and then I totally forget about it. And it's like, and there, there's some part of it that as people, we have to come to that stuff mm-hmm. with a grain of salt and like, yeah. and that, that this is about getting the message out, right? I mean, essentially what we're doing here today is it's like, this is going to be out there. Sun sign astrology is not going away, but there's a great complexity to it. And it is meant to be entertainment um, than it is, well, especially when it's not breaking people down because that's, right. we don't, we don't want to engage in that. We don't want to engage that in, in the feeds either, because I know mm-hmm. exactly what you're saying where all of a sudden, and it's, I love that you brought up Gemini and Scorpio because it's it literally like it's the them. two signs, which is, which is my rising and my chart ruler. So I'm like, excuse me. Yeah. I have Gemini you moon. Know? And I had a client last <laughs> week who right at the start of the session said something along the lines, this paraphrase of, um, I know I don't God, emotions are close to the surface today. Um, I know I don't have a, yeah, I know I don't have a good chart. And I was like, you have four dignified planets. (laughs) What do you mean you don't have a good chart? And they were like, well, because my moon is in Gemini. And I, a friend, a friend told me that that was bad. And I was like, it makes me, I mean, it brings up rage and it brings up defensiveness because my moon is also in Gemini, but also it brings like protectiveness around clients, but also just people in the world who are vulnerable to, who they don't know the difference between what is thorough, nuanced, deeply studied astrology and what is someone just shitposting. And so there's like, so I guess we're doing like a mini PSA in the middle of this episode. We are totally doing a mini PSA. (laughs) Taking care of one another, even when we're doing sign-based sun sign astrology on the internet. Um, And I guess maybe my, my kind of like additional little PSA there is like, as you said, like you write horoscopes, I read horoscopes, like we both read horoscopes. And just for folks to know, especially if they're not deep into a study of astrology, that it's not that the horoscope isn't true, but it is only ever going to possibly be part of the story. And that gets us back to the complexity. How do you read your horoscope knowing that it's part of the story, but that there's a much bigger story going on that's more specific and personal to you? 
And maybe one way that's like an in-between step for there, and this is totally a personal bias coming from um, Hellenistic, more traditional astrology, is if you're going to read horoscopes, read for your rising sign rather than your sun sign. Amen. Great. Good. We're on the same page. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's more likely to be resonant if you read for your rising sign. And maybe we don't have time to explain why that is, except for it has to do with how the house system is set up. Put it in your pocket. It's it it is. Go to the go the rising sign, go to the rising sign first. It's not that the sun sign won't be reflective because there's you know, there's truth in the solar, you know, the solar chart. But um, but if you want if you want the more accurate, if we're looking for the small piece of accuracy that we're not going to take as the the broad truth to our yes, existence yes. in that moment, <laughs> go to the rising sign because agreed. Yeah, yeah that's funny. Uh, I was like the, the poor Gemini moon. You know, we think about Gemini and just like the communication. You know, if someone yeah. tells them something, that's going to go straight to the heart or the emotional, yeah. you know, or the the insecurities that the yeah. that the moon can have. And so, just reading that, oh. It, breaks my heart but it's yeah no one let me let me do a quick little psa yeah no one has a bad chart no one has a bad chart no one agreed i've never seen a chart that i didn't think was beautiful in its ways and it's exactly yeah so we're back to the complexity of it right you know back to the complexity (laughs) and 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 what are the and then how do we engage with that complexity and and i think actually that the way that we engage with the chart um, reflects or even could be a practice for how we engage with ourselves. Yeah. Are, we, are we approaching the chart looking for evidence that I'm bad or that I'm wrong or that, they're, or that I'm doomed? Or it's like, and then if that's true, what is your self-talk like? What is like not even looking at the astrology? How do you treat the parts of yourself that have felt broken or wounded or abandoned or neglected what is in what way might our practice of relating to different parts of the chart be a practice for how we relate to different parts of ourselves and then to go back to the relationality component also how we relate to other people in our lives other relationships um if you have a maybe a challenging configuration with saturn in your chart um and you are practicing looking at your chart in a in engaging in that in that relationship with a sense of judgment or or feeling oppressed by that in some way how does that then reflect how you relate with that planet in your day-to-day lives so I, I, there's something about like we become what we practice yeah. is part of what i'm pointing to is like how we practice looking at the chart and making meaning of the chart um amplifies in all kinds of ways in our lives and in how we experience ourselves and how we move through the world. I think we become what we practice is a quote from Adrian Marie Brown, actually from, it's either from pleasure activism or emergent strategy, but it could be a good pivot into cycles of becoming. <laughs> cycles of, of becoming. I we become well, what we practice. We, that's right. You know, it's to throw in another little quip with that. It's like what you focus on grows. Like, yes, that's, Exactly. That's, you know, either way, either way we're engaging with that. And so I think, I mean, if you do want to like compartmentalize your chart and like break down the certain aspects and you're like, okay, this is my challenging one. Hey, you don't have a challenging one. Let's find, let's find the supportive one. Let's find the one that is like, I can, you know, I can focus on this just as much as I engage with this and have that, that balance there because there's always... And then look at the, you know, the, there's beauty and challenge. challenge. Yes. So it's like, 
life is not easy, people. I'm just going to go. <laughs> not that everybody knows that, but we forget that. We think we're like, oh, if we have this, and it's like, oh, I have to deal with this. And, you know, or I have this square. And it's like, you know what? Squares get things done. Squares yeah. make great people. Squares, uh, you know, debilitated planets mm-hmm. are underdogs that rise to the top because mm-hmm. you've had to go about it a different way and get clever and have strength. And, you know, and, and so there is just all these blessings that are disguised in difficulties in the chart mm-hmm. constantly. Um, and so once again, we don't want to simplify like, you know, Mars, speaking of someone as Mars square Saturn or, you know, <laughs> moon square Pluto. I'm like, I would look at that. And I'm like, oh God, what if I... mm. <laughs> but, there's, but there's beauty in those positions. Yes too, you know, like I can stick with it. I can get, you know, there might be obstacles, but I'm going to get it done. You know what? I have intense emotions, but I can come with that and understand that within other people, you know, like mm-hmm. there's, there's all, there's so much beauty in the challenge, I guess. Um, and totally. the challenges keep coming to us. And so do the gifts and the blessings, right. With the, right. the cycles. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, and as we turn, as we move toward the, the thinking about these cycles, I love, I love what you're saying in terms of life is not all easy. And there's even a way in which we can be reductionist towards what looks challenging. And I think it makes me think of something, this was sometime in 2022, but a few months ago, I was talking with a student in one of Kelly's classes at, oh no, maybe that was last year. Maybe that was in 2021. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Time is an illusion. (laughs) Someone someone asked the question, um, does, when we see challenging things in the chart, does that mean those are things, areas of life we should avoid or that the universe is directing us away from those things in some way? And I said, well, that's that's a huge philosophical question about like what you think astrology even is or does or how it works or, or is this causation or correlation or something else? Like there's lots of layers in that, but I can offer you my biased opinion on it, which is that some of the most meaningful experiences of my life have been some of the most difficult and challenging. Yeah. That no, I I don't want to avoid what is difficult because sometimes what is difficult is what allows us to come into a greater understanding or embodiment of ourselves. Sometimes the struggle is what allows us to be free. Angela Davis writes that. Mm. I mean, she's quoting a song from the from the Black Freedom Movement in the mid-20th century, but freedom is a constant struggle. Freedom may not be life is easy all the time and I can do whatever I want. I often said to told my students when I was teaching uh, courses in feminism at the university that if you're living a life in which everything is easy and you can do everything you want, you are probably doing exactly what the existing systems of power want you to be what doing. You do. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. If 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 you if you experience no resistance in any direction, yeah. it's probably because you're doing exactly what they want you, not they as individual people, but these systems want you to be doing. That it's when we veer off the path of least resistance, it's when we move toward maybe greater authenticity or greater desire or greater freedom or greater solidarity with others who experience various forms of oppression that we don't ourselves experience, then we meet resistance, then we meet struggle, then we meet challenges. And yet, that is those experiences are part of what, it, what makes it worth being here. What, 
what I'd, I would, I would, I'll speak for myself. I would never want to live a life that was entirely capitulating with existing systems of oppression. I would never want to live a life in which my ease, which we can call privilege, um, is sustained by the ongoing marginalization, oppression, and, and subjugation of other people, their suffering. I actually want to turn toward not only my own suffering, but the suffering of others in order to live a life engaged in struggling to make more lives and ways of living possible. And that's not going to be easy. And so oftentimes, to bring it back to the chart, I often find in my client work that the places that look the hardest in the chart can describe some of the places where we are called or being called to engage in struggle, in meaningful struggle, in principled struggle, in order to create a different kind of life for ourselves, but also going back to all those quotes from Black feminists throughout the 20th century and other revolutionaries, my freedom is not separate from yours. So as I engage in a struggle for my own healing, my own liberation, I'm engaging in struggles for healing and liberation for others as well. When I engage in on in solidarity with people and communities whose experiences, their shackles, as Audre Lorde wrote, are different than mine, I'm not doing that just for one person. I'm doing that for whole collectives, whole communities of people. It's a bit of a tangent, but not really. It's really about like what is what is the meaning we're making of what we see in the chart? And just because something looks challenging, no, I don't think it means that's something to avoid. That might be some of the harder parts of our lives, but it might also be that that is where important work that's bigger than yourself actually gets done. Um, I, and, you I, know, the life changing. I just think that's, yeah, the life changing work. And I think you're touching on a very, very, very important point because it's, I mean, how often do we hear it's like the thing that you resist is the most important thing that you need to do? Yes. Right. Yeah. And it's like when we have that resistance there, and once again, we're probably going back to we're encountering a square, whether that's in our chart or or by the, the cycles. Yeah. You know, yeah. like you have a difficult square come to your your chart. That's gonna it can be frustrating. There's gonna be resistance, uh, even opposition. I mean, they're all there's different layers. There's so many yeah. different layers. Yeah. I don't want to like reduce it to just one particular type of aspect because there could be combinations of aspects or natal aspects interacting with the transit aspects or the progressions, etc. But there is that, I mean, I encounter, I'm, I'm encountering that right now in my life. And I've countered it so many times. It's like mm -hmm. you re, you resist it. You, and it takes so much effort to actually resist it than mm -hmm. it is to call to the challenge to what you need to do and maybe suffer a little or put yourself out there or engage with some fear or, mm -hmm. you know, try something that is not comfortable, um, that asks you to engage with something new. Cause once again, we're mm. coming back to the relational component, because yep. if you, if you step out of that and you challenge yourself, you're relating to something different in your life, whether it's a yep. person, whether it's an archetype, whether it's you know, mm -hmm. whatever, there's a different relation because it's not comfortable to mm -hmm. your current existence of what you've experienced thus far. And so once again, you know, we come back to meet something in some yeah. way, shape or form. Well, and in that process, as we engage with whatever that person or situation or archetype or quality is, when we meet that more becomes possible, even yeah. if that experience itself may feel challenging, simply by moving in that direction rather than a, another direction or simply continuing in the way that we had, more possibilities become available to us. And I think that's really inherent to this view of 
astrology describing personhood as cycles of becoming, um, that astrology is intrinsically an interpretation of many simultaneous cycles unfolding over time. And it gives us a view of ourselves as processes of becoming rather than as static beings. So it's this shift in, as I mentioned earlier, in process philosophy from being to becoming. And one of my favorite um, quotes about becomings, it's a little, it's a few sentences, but it's not too long, um, comes from a feminist philosopher named Elizabeth Gross, who writes, quote, every thing, every process, every event or encounter is itself a mode of becoming that has its own time, its own movements, its own force. These multiple becomings both make and unmake. They do up and they undo. These becomings enable life to erupt from certain mixtures of chemicals to complicate and enable materiality to undergo becomings and to generate living beings of all kinds within which both individuals and species, if those terms make any sense, also become more and other than their histories through their engagement with dynamic environments. She goes on, each of these becomings is a mode of transformation of the actual and the present according to virtual forces that emerge from within, meeting forces that surround and enmesh things, events, and processes. These becomings are individuations, which is not the same thing as individualistic, individuation, um, something becoming more particular, more precise, more specific. Um, processes of the production of things, processes that transform states of matter, processes that enable and complicate life. And so, end quote. And so inside of that, we get the inherent complexity of becoming because as things change, more possibilities become available, more potentialities become enlivened. And so when we move away from the idea of something as static of ourselves, of what it means to be a person as static and as, as and unchanging, we're actually engaging in more and ongoing complexity through these cycles of change. And I think of all the ways in which this is reflected in astrological work, like especially that passage where she was talking about becomings both make and unmake. They do up and they undo. And I was thinking about all of the secondary progressions or all of the transits or all of the annual perfections or the solar revolutions or solar returns, or um, those are the techniques that I use, or the zodiacal releasing periods, or what are techniques other people use, solar arc directions, things mm -hmm. like that. Like all these timing techniques that we use in astrology are ways of understanding that this thing that we're looking at, this process that we're looking at, that we call astrology, is always in motion, is always changing, is always developing quite slowly in most of these techniques, <laughs> which is something yes. that I think also there's a wisdom in that that we should learn, that even the most... Uh, even the things that sing signify the most abrupt or unexpected change, like a Uranus transit, for example, mm -hmm. like takes years. So it's like, yeah. So in, nothing in astrology is truly sudden in the way that we experience things in capitalist time. So everything moves quite slowly, but it is changing. It is always changing. It is always in a process of becoming. And if that is true about the astrology, and if it is also true, as we said earlier, that I always have been and always am 
in a process of uh, of of relationship of being in relation with this changing cosmos then it must be true of me as well that i am also in a constant state of change and becoming all of these overlapping countless not countless maybe countless cycles of becoming with each transit with each progression which e- with each perfection and so on that all of these things together is this movement of ongoingness and withness with on the being with the becoming with the ongoingness of the movement of the cosmos is and that's part of how we might understand what it means to be human what it means to be a person and i i think all this is so important timing to even in engage with and and settle into mm. as we are in I mean, when this episode airs, we are in a, a very, you know, potent <laughs> time uh, yeah. of fixed energy mm. coming to, you know, er- eruptions and shifts and cuts and activations. And, you know, and we're all going in some areas of our life, we're having these disrupted um, experiences in mm-hmm. very stable and comfortable positions. And this has been going on for a while. So I love when you're like, it's a slow change, you know, (laughs) and and sometimes, you know what, sometimes you have something that happens to you really fast. You know, if you lose someone in a tragic way, or all of a sudden you get fired or, you know, sometimes life hits you like that, but the growth and the becoming and the, the, you know, the recapitulation all comes through the, the, I don't want to say the aftermath, that sounds so drastic, but you know what I mean? It's like, there's a whole process that then goes through that. Um, and so I think just taking in this message right now is so valuable, especially if you are someone, you know, maybe you're, I, Michael and myself both have a fixed ascendance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're in the crunch of the yeah. fixed <laughs> square going on. Um, but it, it can be hard for the people with such placements to move and to, to become into the change and to accept it uh, and, and see the blessings in it, right? We're talking mm-hmm. about the the challenge uh, that movement and occasional suffering and growth and, and you know, pushing upwards um, or disintegrating within two can mm-hmm. really just benefit your life in a way that needs forethought. And I think that's kind of like what we're talking about here a little. I love one of the things that you wrote in our outline here was turning, uh, rather than beings were becomings. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we need to have a a level of forethought as we're going through the movements in the now and meeting in relation to everything that we're we're not up against in the world. I don't want to make it sound like a contest, but we're, Mm. we're always, you know, whatever that is, like keep that forethought there. You know, mm-hmm. we have to live in the moment, but at the same time, remember, you're like, I am, I am a, I am a being that's in a cycle of becoming. Yes. What does this moment mean to me right now, and how am I sculpting it mm-hmm. um, to carry it into what that what it is that I'm becoming, what I want the situation to become, what uh, what I can work with with whatever you know scenario because uh, you don't always get to mold it how you want it you know no. but but being present with that knowing that you're kind of shaping um and you have the power to shape i guess this comes to the fr- kind of free will you know fate type of uh conversation but i hope you see where i'm going with this maybe <laughs> i totally see where you're going with it it's making me think so many things in terms of oh gosh where to even start um i was thinking about the like <laughs> 
yes, sometimes it does feel that life happens to us suddenly. We suddenly lose someone that we love, for example. Um, and I've lost, you know, in the, the in the loved ones who have died in my life, I've had loved ones who have diminished over years because they yeah. were sick and they had cancer. And so their death was not a sudden thing. Their death was very obviously part of a longer process. And when the actual death came, it didn't have that feeling of suddenness. But I've also had loved ones who just didn't wake up one day and it was quite sudden and unexpected. But even that, when I think about the process of grief, that the loss may have been instant, but that story, but the story isn't contained within the instant. Yeah. In fact, it was years, it still is years of, and many cycles, many planetary cycles of processing that loss. And so even in that way, we can see how what we might experience relatively as abrupt in our lives we even have an opportunity with the astrology to soften into like, even that abrupt thing is part of a longer story. Um, which of course is hard to do in a capitalist society. That's like someone you love died. Well, we'll see you back at work tomorrow. Like yeah. where it's like, it's hard to soften into the longer, slower process of change, but that's actually what I think, you know, astrology, which predates colonial capitalism, um, racialized capitalism, astrology may attest to a way of meeting time that's quite different than that, like, get over it, get back to work, get back to as you as you were. No change can have happened. Yes. Um, and there's no process or time for that change. Um, that's part of something that came up as you were talking. Um, I also loved when you reflected on the, like, I am part of this longer cycle of becoming. It made me think of Alexis Pauline Gums, who's a Black feminist thinker, writer, um, love evangelist, fin fantastic, one of my favorite people on this planet. Um, and she talks about, as other folks have, but specifically she talks about um, the nonlinearity of time. And she says, this is going to be paraphrased, I don't have this quote in front of me, but she says that part of what, for her, what it means to be present is that everything and everyone is available to her in this moment. All those who came before, all those who will come after, this idea of like we're progressing in a straight line, that collapses if all of that is available to us in this moment, which I think is part of what astrology also points to, that anywhere the planet is in your chart, having the moon in Gemini, for example, just means that that's where it was in its cycle. And we can look at things like progressions and transits and so on to see like, how does the rest of the cycle show up for us? And what does it mean for us? Even though that is where my moon is or where my Venus is or whatever, that the rest of the cycle is still significant for us. Yeah. Otherwise, we wouldn't even look at transits or progressions exactly. or anything else. So it's like, we know the rest of the cycle is significant. So what would happen if we lived our lives as if the rest of the cycle was significant <laughs> to who we are becoming and who we could become? And then there is something about the way you, the language you used of meeting, meeting the change that made me think of this quote from Chani Nicholas um, from the, a podcast called How to Survive the End of the World. This is from, oh, I don't know, I think 2016, maybe, maybe 2017. Um, and she said, I can't even remember what the question was. I think it was, what does astrology ought teach us about how to be in the world? Something like that. And she said, Planets just never stop. They keep going. So there's always something. There's always another creation, right? Like there's always another iteration of it. 
it will be a different moment. And because astrology speaks to the quality of time, then I guess it can, what it can teach us about, it's always teaching us about the quality of this moment, but we have to live it out in order to understand it. And so we can look at astrology, you know, down the road, but we don't know who we're going to be when we meet that quality, that moment in time. And so however it is that we've grown or developed or recreated ourselves, then we, we meet that moment in a very specific way. And so, you know, there's tones and there's archetypes and I can see coming down the pike in a sense, but I think astrology teaches us that we never really know how to we outthink ourselves all the time. Like we, I, I can look at a chart, you know, and it's like, I can look at my own chart and be like, I know what that is. And then I live it out and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> I had no idea. But of course, now I can see it, you yeah. know, now I can witness it plain as day that that would happen or that's perfect. But I couldn't, my mind couldn't stretch to that possibility before until I lived it out. And that's the part that right at the end that came to mind. It's like, as we as we think about ourselves and what it means to be a person as cycles of change and cycles of becoming, part of what I think that asks for us to recognize is that even when we're looking, you know, as we tend to do with astrology, predictively, what is coming up for you in the year ahead or in the month ahead, even as we do that, we don't know who we're going to be when we meet that moment in time, which also gives us, I think, a lot of space to breathe mm. um, and have some empathy and compassion for our future selves. It's something I talk about a lot with clients who are going through the Saturn return. I think because there's so much talk about the Saturn return on the internet, clients often come in with this idea of like, well, I've got to learn this lesson. I've got to learn it fast because I've only <laughs> got the three years, you know? And I just tell them like, let's all remember that the Saturn return is a moment within a 30, approximately 30 year cycle, <laughs> that whatever is whatever lessons are being planted during this three year period, you may not even fully recognize or understand what that's about until you reach the Saturn the, square. The square. Or maybe the opposition. Yeah. Like, and then maybe by the opposition, you'll be like, oh, I see what that thing 14 years ago was about. And I have another 14, 15 years to integrate it, to learn it, to build on those structures and things like that. And we can think about every transit, every progression, every cycle in that way, that whatever moment we're experiencing, it's going to continue to change, evolve, and develop through that cycle. And so are we, which means that as when we can see things coming up, we can know that we are going to already have been changed by the time we meet that. We will then be changed by that experience. We will then meet the other events, experiences, qualities of time as someone that we are not yet. We will we will be some we will become someone we yet not we are not yet. Um it makes me think of Octavia Butler writes in her books, uh books The Parable of the Sower and The Parable of the Talents. Um, God is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change, changes you. The only lasting truth is change. And then Adrienne Marie Brown, who I mentioned earlier, who's uh, um, many things, an emergent strategist, a pleasure activist, but also a scholar of Octavia Butler's work, um, describes 
emergent strategy, which is a whole concept and there's a whole book on it. But one of the short ways she describes it is coming into right relationship with change. Mm. That as you were saying in this moment, especially for those of us who have strong fixed placements and we're having this strong fixed T-square experience over this the next like few weeks, um, there's a, there can be a lot of resistance to change. Yeah. And even as we were saying earlier that we don't necessarily want to avoid things that are challenging or where there might be struggle, we make some things harder or more challenging than so they, they need, need to, to be, be. <laughs> <laughs> when we resist them. Yes. So what would it mean for astrology to actually be a resource or an invitation to come into right relationship with change. We can see the change. We can see it unfolding. We don't know what it's going to mean entirely. We don't know how we're going to meet it. But if we are living with a constant awareness or consciousness that we are changing, that everything we touch, we change, everything we change changes us. If we live with that constant awareness then we're less resistant to the change. We fight the change perhaps less and we can learn how to be in right relationship with that change in the world, but also the change that we are. Does yeah. that make sense? It makes total sense. And I think that's the blessing of astrology when it mm. is used in, um, I want to use the word responsible, but I also want to <laughs> use the, the word uh, spacious mm. uh, relation because it's like, I can't tell you how many times that knowing what was going on in the sky, how it was interacting my chart helped me in that particular moment. And if you were like, yeah. and I, two weeks prior, I was and saw it coming. I'd be like, it's going to be this, 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 and this. It's like, no, it's, it might, but it's probably not going to be. But just having the spaciousness of knowing what kind of like arch, archetypal energy is at play, mm-hmm. it helps you once again meet it in the moment and ha- maybe have a little less resistance. Now, of course, we're always going to have like instinctual qualities that come out within mm-hmm. us, you know, because typically what's the first to react? Our moon. Yeah. Like, that's why I like to call it the behavior motivator because the moon's mm-hmm. like, excuse me, what are you, <laughs> what are you meeting me with right now? Um but having that context is so valuable. And that's the gift that astrology gives us. As long as we don't have, try to pinpoint it too closely, because it's mm-hmm. like when you think you have it figured out or you're coming at it where, you know, you going back to that kind of doomsday perspective, like, mm-hmm. oh no, I, or that Saturn returns coming. I just know <laughs> I'm the anvil's going to drop on my head at any time. It's like, no, you could be challenged in real world situations or reality might be give you a little kick in the butt but mm-hmm. at the end of the day you we have to just give it space but mm-hmm. have the context to where we can meet it in a way that benefits our becoming um mm-hmm. and without putting too much pressure on it to be this ex- exact thing or pigeonholing who we are within it you know it, <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. Totally. Well, and I mean, what you just did was a great callback to our tendency towards reductionism. I I, I want to know in advance that this progression or this transit is going to be this one thing. It's like, probably it's not going to be that. Or even if it is that, it will probably be three or four other things as well. That (laughs) astrological symbols um, and the archetypal qualities that they, to which they refer are often I've I've used the language to describe them as multivalent. They often 
if not always, describe more than one thing. So yes, the, the moon is the, the behavioral motivator. And also the moon might be our capacity for mothering. It might be our capacity for care and caretaking. And those might not be the same thing. It might our, What motivates our behavior and our capacity for mothering and caretaking of ourselves and one another might be different things. And yet the moon can describe them both. Yes. If that's true, and it I mean, it has been for literally the entire history of the astrological tradition that if you go to any of the ancient sources all the way through contemporary sources, any of these planets, signs, or houses will always have a plethora of potential signification. And in fact, many of those significations will be brought in with each of the activations that we experience through timing techniques, but also in our natal placement. So knowing that, then can we resist that urge to reduce the the transit or the progression or the perfection year or the whatever else or our natal placements to like, it's only going to be this one thing. And if we allow it to be more than one thing, more than one process, I actually, even that, that language again, it's not a thing. It's a process. It's an, something that's unfolding. Yeah. Um, if we if we can relate to that process or unfolding in that multivalent way, then are we also potentially practicing relating to ourselves in our ongoing changing, in our ongoing becomings through a similar sort of multivalent way? I can be multiple, if not many, processes unfolding at once, and that feels to me somatically like what you were describing as that spaciousness. Mm -hmm. It just gives it all more space to unfold and breathe and find our way, maybe lose our way and then find our way. Yeah. 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 Oh, I love that. I love that you used breathe too. I mean, a breath is like that life force energy. So we want space. We want breath within things. And as you were bringing that up, you know, and I guess essentially part of what you're saying is like, you, and we were talking about this earlier with uh, Chani's clo- quote, it's yeah. like the transits and the, the becoming meets us with all these potentialities, right? We can't right. really uh, pinpoint our finger on it, but we then meet those many potentialities with our own multitude of potentialities, you know, right. like, Ugh. so it, yeah, it's like, there's so many ways this can, can go. And it gives us in that spaciousness actually gives us freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gives us, it gives us choice. Uh, it gives us, yeah, it just gives us potential. And isn't that just a much more wonderful narrative to, yeah. you know, atta- atta- if we're going to attach ourselves to something, then, then pigeonholing it to this, or it has to be that, or I'm afraid of this, or this is coming my way, or I always act like this. It's like, pull it back. You know, we have this, we have that, that, that free will just at our fingertips at any mm. moment. We mm-hmm. just have to recognize that, slow down enough, give ourselves enough space to interact with life that way. And so, yes. yeah, I, I like it. I'm like, and with all my transits going on right now, I'm like, <laughs> let me just, Mel, remember that? Remember, yep. give it skills of space. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now have we, have we covered our, I feel like we've covered our cycles of becoming. Uh, yeah, I I, you so. had some wonderful uh, conclusion questions Aww. for us to sit with, right? I As did. We, kind of wrap up some of uh some of the things we said here today 
Exactly. And it's just, these are just offerings. If folks who are listening want to integrate some of this thinking or some of the, these ways of feeling um, as in, into their astrology or just into their living. Um, so the first question that I thought of was, what would change about how I move through the world if I did so with an abiding awareness of my inherent relationality, complexity, and becoming? And then how can astrology be a practice of relinquishing investments in individualism, reductionism, and sameness? How can we allow our astrology to not reproduce those deep, deeply socially conditioned tendencies and instead allow our astrology to do something else other than um, investing in more investments in individualism, reductionism, and sameness? And then finally, what kind of world becomes possible with these understandings of personhood as relational, complex, and changing? And how can astrology be part of co-creating that different world? Yeah, I think that it's this view of, of at least my orientation to astrology, that it's not only a description of what's happening. It is how we engage with the astrology shapes what the astrology can then do. Mm. Um, and then the astrology can also be a part of creating and cultivating and co-creating change in the world. That astrology, I, it's, I mean, this comes up on Twitter every couple of years. Someone will make the claim that astrology is politically neutral, but it's astrologers who are have political, you know, biases. And I don't think that's true because the, there is no astrology separate from our practice of it. Astrology oh. in and of itself is not the movements of the planets in the sky. That's the movements of the planets in the sky. Astrology is a human practice of engaging with and making yeah. meaning with those movements. There is no way to do that in a way that's politically neutral. We are always bringing our assumptions about the world, one another, and ourselves to how we interpret, how we delineate, how we make meaning. And if that's true, then I hope this conversation that we've had today offers some resources for what else we might bring into those practices of making meaning with astrology. And then by extension, how that astrology then can then be part of co-creating a different possible world, a world where, to use some of your language, where there's more potential, more freedom, more capacities for freedom in the ways that we engage with our own potentialities and the potentialities that are made available to us through the ways that we meet the moment as it arrives. Mm, I love that. (sighs) ah, I know, breathe. (laughs) I think I... That was a great wrapping up point. And mm. I just want to play on just real quickly, just emphasize what she, the, just remembering that, that that's inherent within astrology is that we mm-hmm. make it what it is. Yes. And, and to remember this is that, and this is what we were playing on throughout the conversation today is that we have especially in our own lives. And even if you're working with client charts, we have subjectivity up -hmm. until the moment of experience. And Mm -hmm. then we can gain the objectivity afterwards. And so if we just remember that and what comes with that, you know, and, and the, the personal 
when we talk about biases or conditioning mm-hmm. or you know the, all that that plays into that just re- just remembering that so that we're not thinking that something is just finite this or mm-hmm. it's going to be that like there is the subjective quality and we are we are creating the astrology yes <laughs> essentially um, absolutely i mean <laughs> i've said to close astrologer friends that what you just said we create the astrology might be the hill that i'm going to die on <laughs> by which i mean i gave a presentation last year called astrology as an artistic practice and the subtitle was as it is made so it makes and that is it's an idea that comes from Elizabeth Gross, and she was right. She was writing about art that as we make it, how we make it also makes us in some way. And I think that that is absolutely one hundred percent true of astrology. That it is not a it is not a message from the sky that we're just decoding using some sort of one to one cipher. That is absolutely not what astrology is. It is inherently a creative practice because we are making something of the materials that we receive from the sky, from the planets, the signs, the houses, the aspects, the transits, the progressions, and so on. We're making something. The thing we're making is meaning. (laughs) We're making meaning of these materials, which is so similar to my experiences as an artist and how we make art of the materials that are available to us. It doesn't mean we can make anything. We can only make what the materials available to us allow us to make, but that is also true of astrology. We can't make the astrology mean anything, but within the multivalence that is available to us in what the planet signs, houses, aspects, etc., can mean, within that multivalence, we can make a lot of different things. And what and how we make the astrology makes a difference in the world. It makes a difference for ourselves, for our clients, for what we share on social media, um, as we were pointing to earlier, how we practice the astrology, what we make of it, the meaning we make of it, makes a difference in the world, I think. Uh, I think you're I think you're right, right? We're, const- we're constantly co-creating, we're back to relation. Yes, yes exactly. Don't, get it. don't forget. <laughs> Don't forget. Oh my gosh. I love it, Michael. This this has been a fabulous conversation um, that has opened up many doors that people can go down to just think about astrology and their relation to it. Um, And they're just, and not even just astrology, their relation to the world within it. We're like bringing it all back. Of course, astrology is our focal point here because we love it. Um, But, uh, but there's, there's, a lot of meat to this conversation to, you know, chew over later on here. Now, before we go, where can people find you? What do you got going on? Tell us, tell us the dish. Oof. Um, the best place <laughs> for people to find me is my website, which is michaeljmorris.co. Um, you can find me on Instagram at co witchcraft offerings. Um, and then you can find me on Twitter at Morris Michael J. Um, I'm a little slower on social media right now because I'm doing, I'm working on a fairly substantial writing uh, project in the background um, that's forthcoming. Um, But because of that, I'm writing a little less uh, social media content right now, but you can find me in those places. Um, And then in terms of what's coming up, um, I'm speaking at the Astrological Association Conference in September, which is hosted, it's based in the UK, but it'll be on Zoom this year. 
and I'm giving a workshop for AFAN, the um, Association for Astrological Networking, also in September, um, which I'm actually speaking to something that you were pointing to earlier. I'm talking about, I was asked to talk about, and I, and I will be talking about, um, cross-pollination in astrology, how important it is to, in addition to our astrology, to bring our other experiences and interests mm. and backgrounds into the astrology, that our astrology actually gets better when it is in relationship with other disciplines, other fields, other bodies of thought, other uh, communities of practice, the astrology gets better. And there's so many examples of people who are doing that in this field. So I'm giving that workshop, I think it's the last week of September. Um, and then I'm giving a workshop with the Aquarian Organization for Astrologers in October. Um, and all of the uh, the dates for all of that will be on my website. Um, and if you want to be on my, if you want to be informed about when events like that are coming up, get the dates, get the registration information. And if you want to be notified when my books are open again, which will I will open my books again in September for October, and I'll book for October, November, and December at that point, um, get on my mailing list. You can join my mailing list on my website. It's the at the bottom of every single page. There's a place to join the mailing list. There's also a link to it on the link tree on my Instagram. Wonderful. So there's a lot of opportunities to engage with Michael coming up here. So definitely go uh, check the website out. And of course, you can come to my website over at energeticprinciples.com and I'll have Michael's information there as well. Um, you can find me on Instagram at energeticprinciples. And I will say, I don't know if you've been dealing with this, but I have an imposter right now. Oh, totally. They, 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 Every they, week. We're all dealing with this. Um, so just you know, one more PSA. <laughs> If either one of us ever reach out to you telling we telling you that we have a, a message from the universe from you, we don't. Not us. We might, but that's not us. You know, no. don't don't fall for it. We will don't never solicit you for money or readings on social media. I no, think that's, that is, I mean, that's definitely true for me. I think that's true for you. I, a hundred percent. That would never, never happen. My my Leo planets would not accept yeah. that. There's too much pride. No. Yeah, I just tell, um, I always tell people when the imposters start coming up again because it happens. It's like these cycles. It's like where I'll cycles. Go, <laughs> I'll go a few weeks without any imposters, then a few weeks where there seems like there's a new one every couple of days. And I just tell people I actually have a little highlights on my Instagram um, story highlights that kind of walk through. Here's everything you need to know. Um, the biggest thing is oh, always check idea. the spellings. Mm -hmm. Like that, most of these imposters they make like a subtle, like they add one letter or they add a. Um, an underscore or something like that, which is how people end up getting tricked. Um, and so just always check the spellings. If you know you already follow us and someone messages you or adds you from a different account, that's a clear indication that this is an imposter, a scammer. Um, and then if there, if someone reaches out to you asking for a reading or money on, on social media, that's definitely not us. All of my booking for anything happens through my website yeah. website and it's always initiated by the client. I'm never going to reach out to someone and say like, Hey, do you want a reading from me? Um, my books, my books stay full. I, yeah, it's like you find, you find me. I'm never going to come hunting for you on social media. Um, yeah. yeah, those are some of the things I can think of off the top of my head of what, just to keep yourself safe. Um, because I've ha I have had people message me and after the fact who did get tricked and ended up sending money to some stranger. And it's like, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And so, um, it's about protecting, it's about people protecting themselves as well. Like if something it seems is. off at all, just take care of yourself and make good choices and know that it's not us. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, if, if, if something feels off, it's probably because it is. 
Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, you know, fighting to have Instagram be a safe space is not is is difficult, and it's a lot of work for the people that are being that are uh, being impersonated. Like yep. we have to go through a lot just trying to. It shouldn't be this hard. Um, and really, right. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a call out into the universe right now because I've thought mm-hmm. about it. I this story needs to come out somewhere. Someone mm-hmm. needs to do some expo, do an expose on the Instagram scrammers. You know, scammers the LA Times, the LA, the LA Times did, did one last year, but I, just, I don't think it got big circulation because I think like in the grand scheme of the news cycle, oh yeah, astrologers on Instagram is this relatively small concern. Very, very. But small. It, but I was pleased that at least LA Times did that, and I think um, I think Vice did one sometime this spring as well. So like it's slowly getting there, but yeah, more awareness is really, I think the only way it's going to change. So anyways, just PSA. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say that I also have a a course that's going to be happening. Um, And it might have started right when this has come (laughs) out, but you could always join uh, if, unless I get this program out a few days earlier, but I am teaching a course, a four week course called chain of command, Mm. which is about uh, rulership and astrology and essential dignities. And so this Mm. is a key key tool in your toolkit if you are uh reading charts or and especially if you intend to be a professional astrologer because mm-hmm. there is so much complexity and everything that we were talking about earlier that is uh discovered through planetary rulership and mm-hmm. uh, essential dignities and how the planets talk to one another versus uh, through who's in charge you know mm-hmm. so uh this is going to be a four week intensive that is going to be interactive it's going to be a small group and we're going to be working with each other and the charts of students so that we can have real time you know uh to hear from the horse's mouth what is <laughs> what does this planet do how does it interact um so i think we're going to have a lot of fun it's going to be sunday starting july 31st four sundays consecutively at 11 a.m pacific and 2 p.m eastern and nighttime if you are in europe uh so if you're interested in that come on over to energeticprinciples.com slash courses and you can sign up uh even if we've had one class already you can still get in there and you can get the replay which you can keep forever people ask can i have this later and i'm like of course you paid for it mm-hmm. it is all yours um so if you're interested in that come on down join me all right what else do i have to say here i think mm-hmm. this word needs to be spread about astrology Mm -hmm. and personhood. So share this podcast with a friend, um, share it on social media, uh, however you feel called to spread the good word, we'd really appreciate it. Uh, You can also leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast to help it be seen further in the ranks of all the astrology offerings that exist. Mm -hmm. Um, And really, I think that's it. Michael, it is always a pleasure to talk to you. I wish I got to, I wish I got to do so on a more frequent basis, but I know life is busy. Time is an illusion. <laughs> life is busy. It's such a, it's such a delight being in this conversation with you. And I just so, I feel so much gratitude for you holding space for um, conversations like this that really ask like, not only what, what is the astrology, but how are we thinking about the astrology? What is the meaning we're making of the astrology? What are we bringing to the astrology? It just feels like being able to get into these kinds of rich, um, satisfying conversations is just so meaningful. And I'm just so grateful for you to hold the space for this. 
Oh, and I'm grateful that you bring such a wonderful topic to the table. It's mm. like you're you're an inspiring mind, Michael. I just uh, just have to say that. So, well, I hope that our dialogue here today inspired you to think about astrology uh, and even the world as a whole and your place in the cosmos in a a different, uh, more spacious and maybe more breathable manner Mm -hmm. um, and that you have gotten something out of our conversation today. So we wish you the best of luck in these intense times that are out there. Yeah. (laughs) Take a deep breath and remember... May the stars be with you.